0: This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This summer, we've been looking through stories in the Old Testament and seeing how, because of Christ, we are brought into the family of God, which means these are not just role models that we try to be like. They're not just inspirational stories that encourage us a little bit. But when we're brought into the family of God as sons and daughters of Christ, these now become our spiritual ancestors. And so regardless of the family that you were raised in, regardless of the home you grew up in, regardless of your own personal history, how, how deep or how shallow your faith tradition might be— As a follower of Jesus, there's good news for you today that every story in the Old Testament is part of your spiritual DNA. So you're not starting out from from nothing, but you have this rich legacy of faith that's been handed down to you. We've explored numerous ones of those over the past six or seven weeks. Today we're going to look at the story of Gideon and talk about our inheritance of identity. So Gideon's story is found in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. If you have a Bible, that's where we're going to spend all of our time this morning. I would encourage you, though, we're not going to have time to really jump into all of the details of Gideon's story. And so like we've done as we've kind of worked our way through, I want to encourage you to spend some time this week. Um, Gideon's story is, is pretty compact. You can read through it uh, in, in 5, 10, 15 minutes. And as you do, either that today or at some point this week, just sit down, read it, and ask God one simple question. Lord, will you speak to me through this story? And what you will find is, in addition to the identity things we're talking about this morning, is there are other things that happened in Gideon's life that parallel things that are happening in your life right now. And you'll have an experience that believers around the world and throughout history have had. Anytime we sit with the scriptures and we say, Lord, will you speak to me? He does. And he'll speak clearly, and he'll speak forcefully, and he will encourage you and challenge you and call you to continue on this path he's laying out for you. But today with Gideon's story, our only focus really is on his identity. And Gideon's identity starts with the identity of the people of Israel at the time in which he lives. And that story picks up in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. It says, "...the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord." And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys." They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. The first thing we see is that Israel has a broken identity. Who God has called them to be is no longer who they are. And it's not because God has abandoned them. It's not because God has turned their back on him. But they have somewhere along the line decided we know we are the sons and the daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know we are the nation through whom all the earth is to be blessed. We know we're the descendants of Moses and Joshua. We are the possessors of the promised land. And yet, somewhere along that path, they decided we do not want to live in the identity that God has given to us. And so they embrace the identities of the culture around them. The Judges tells us the same story over and over and over again. It's a cyclical pattern in the nation of Israel at this point in history where they walk with the Lord and then they grow cold in their relationship with him. They turn their backs on him and then he allows them to experience the natural consequences of embracing a broken identity. And in this situation, it means that when they've said, Lord, we don't want to walk in your blessing, they have stepped outside of it and he has allowed an enemy to come and oppress them for seven years now. For seven years, they've been dominated. For seven years, they've been defeated by an enemy that is so vast, it cannot be counted. Their crops have been destroyed. Their livestock have been killed. They've been driven out of their villages, towns, and cities into the mountains to hide in caves from their enemies. Seven years it's been happening. And then Gideon is a member of Israel at this time. And what we see in Gideon's story is that what is a a national broken identity also plays itself out as an individual broken identity. So if if you skip down to Judges 6 verse 11, we're introduced to Gideon. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, Gideon is, is doing a job that probably takes a little bit of work. I, I'm pretty confident we don't have a lot of wheat farmers in the room, do we? Wheat? I heard several years ago I, I mentioned wheat on a Sunday, and somebody told me, please enunciate the T, because we thought you were talking about weed farmers. Um, so, so, Wheat. <laughs> Farmers. No wheat farmers. Okay. Uh, If we had wheat farmers, I would still be confident we have nobody who's harvesting their wheat by hand anymore because that hasn't been done for quite a while. But in, in Gideon's day, they would grow wheat, they would harvest it by hand, and then they would have to thresh it, which was the process in which they separated the grain from the stock. And so normally this would take place on a threshing floor, a term you'll read at different times in the Old Testament. A threshing floor was normally a hard surface, and it was usually um, out in a well-ventilated area because the process of threshing wheat is, is messy. Um, So the the last year or so, we've been under a a renovation project here at Christian Chapel, and so we've become familiar with messes, we've become familiar with dust. I remember probably uh, at some point last spring, I walked out into this this community space out here, and we had some guys, a drywall crew that was in. So they had hung the drywall, they had mudded it, they had taped it, and now they were in the process of sanding it. Well, they know we're, we're meeting in the church as they're doing this. And so, so they've got one guy who's sanding it. And they've got another guy who's following him along with the shop vac, which I really appreciated. Until I noticed his shop vac didn't have a bag or a filter in it. And so all he was doing was he was sucking up the dust that had fallen on the ground. And it was blowing out the back of his shop vac throughout the whole room. And it looked smokier than any bar that some of your friends have probably been in, right? Because not you, but maybe some of them. And it was just an absolute, thankfully he recognized it quickly, he closed it up. but, But for the rest of that day, it was just a miserable place to be. That's the picture you need to have in mind when it says that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. It's a dirty physical job. Right? As you would beat those stalks of grain, the grain would fall off, and then you would pick up the stalks and the leftover kind of trash, and you'd toss it up in the air. And the thought was the wind would catch the dust and carry it away from you, but the grain was heavy enough. If it had got picked up, it would fall back to the threshing floor where it could be gathered up later. Gideon is not only not doing this in a well-ventilated area, he's doing it in a wine press, basically in a, in a pit. He has picked the worst possible place to do a physically demanding and dirty job, and we're told why, because he feared the Midianites. Gideon was afraid if he threshed the wheat out in the open, his enemies would see it, and they would come and take it from him. And so in an attempt to eke out just the most meager existence for his family, he finds himself down in a hole doing a job, and the whole situation reminds him that life is not as it should be. Gideon has embraced his identity as part of a broken nation. He's embraced his identity as a defeated person. He's embraced his identity as the the bullied one, the powerless one. And he finds himself in a spot that, that many of us can probably identify with, where his circumstances have become his identity. The things that are happening to him, he is now convinced are who he actually is as a person this morning, as I was reading through this but before I came into church and praying through it again, I felt the Lord speak very specifically and, and I don 't know who it 's for so i 'm going to share it and then you can you can discern if that 's for you or not but i don 't know if, if you noticed in the, the first line of Gideon's story it says that Israelites have been oppressed for seven years now this broken identity was not just something that they had one bad thing that happened and they picked it up but year after year, they experienced defeat. Year after year, they watched their crops be ruined. Year after year, they suffered and wondered if God had finally turned his head away from them. For seven years, they suffered until they reached the point that they cried out. And when they cried out, Gideon's whole story is about God answering. And what I believe the, the Lord wants to say to, to maybe one or two of us, maybe more of us, is there are some of you this morning, you, you have known suffering. You've known hardship and difficulty. And you might not have even sat down recently to, done the, to, to do the math on how long have you been in this season. But I believe there's somebody here that when you do that today, you're going to recognize it's been about seven years. It's been seven years of hardship. It's been seven years of grief. It's been seven years of depression. It's been seven years of sickness. It's been seven years since the marriage was good. It's been seven years since the family was all together. It's been seven years since the addiction started. It's been seven years of infertility. It's been seven years of longing for a partner. It's been seven years of loneliness. It's been seven years of bankruptcy. It's been whatever it is. And you're starting to reach the point where you wonder, does God even hear me? And God, in his sovereignty, arranged the circumstances of your life to be in this place this morning so you would hear. He knows it's been seven years, and he hears every cry, and he is moving toward you. Now, if it hasn't been seven years from you, maybe it's been seven minutes or seven months, the good news is the same. When you cry out, God hears and God acts. And in Gideon's story, this is, this is what the people of Israel and what Gideon personally is going to have to learn. That his broken identity is not who he is. It's the same message that the Lord shares with us. The inheritance we have received from Gideon is not an inheritance of being defined by our circumstances. You might have experienced failure after failure, but it doesn't mean you're always going to be a failure. You might have grown up in a home of abuse and neglect, but it does not mean that cycle continues with you. You might have known poverty and hardship, but it does not mean that's what life will always be. You might have known sickness or disease, but it doesn't mean that's gonna become the defining characteristic of your life. You might have lost loved ones, you might suffer under the weight of grief, but it doesn't mean that joy will not come in the morning. What Gideon had to learn is the same thing that you and I have to learn. That what is happening to us does not define who we are. And Gideon learns it when God shows up. And so God shows up. He finds Gideon in the wine press, hiding from his enemies. Basically, Gideon is the kid at lunch that's hiding from the bully and eating under the bleacher so they won't take what his mom packed him. And the Lord shows up, and in Judges chapter 6, verse 12, we hear how God sees Gideon. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, there is nothing mighty or warrior-like about Gideon. He's, He's quite literally hiding in the corner, hoping no one sees him. He is cowering as low as he can, just trying to scrape by to provide for himself and his family. And so when the angel shows up and says, you are a mighty warrior, it doesn't really make sense. But it's a reminder to us that our broken identities are not how God sees me, and it is not where God leaves me. You might have some brokenness in your life. You might have known some heartache and suffering. You might have experienced some abuse and neglect, but that is not the way God looks at you. You are not perpetually a victim in his eyes. You are not a lost cause to him. You are not the one that got away. You are not the mistake that he couldn't fix. When he looks at you, he sees you exactly as the scriptures describe you, that you are chosen, you are called, you are set apart. He sees you as his son and as his daughter. He says you are holy and you are royal. You are one that he set apart while you were still in your mother's womb. He has plans for every day of your life and knows the number of the hairs on your head. He knows that you will be a person of peace, that you will be a person of love, that you will be a person of faith, of courage, of kindness and patience. He knows that you will have incredible gifts of self-control. He sees you as someone who is gifted, talented and able to contribute to the cause of his kingdom in the world right now. He sees you as someone of significance because you are his creation. He sees you as someone who was formed by his will and for his pleasure. He sees you as the place where the glory of God dwells. He sees you as the one in whom the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now inhabits. When God looks at you, he doesn't see who you are. He sees who he says you are. And this is what happens to Gideon. The Lord is with you. We got to go all in or all out. Like the halfway, it can't do. So I'm fine with it. I'm going to kind of keep going. I don't need it, but we'll, there we go. Okay. So here we go. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, but it doesn't make sense. And you've been in that spot. God has shown up and he said, Hey, I'm calling you out. Hey, there's a different future. Hey, there's a different path. Hey, you're not going to be what the world has always said you are. I don't care what your parents called you. I don't care what your teachers said about you. I don't care what the tests revealed. This is who you are. And oftentimes, like Gideon, our response is, sounds good, but let me tell you why that can't be true. You keep reading Gideon's story, Judges chapter 6, verse 15, Gideon's response is, Pardon me, my Lord. So he's very respectful, right? I mean, just coming, and, and anytime you want to disagree with God and tell him that you have a better idea, at least couch it in respectability, right? Pardon me, my Lord, getting replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I don't know if you spent time this week studying the uh, power rankings of the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm guessing not. But there were 12 of them, and there are tribes that we hear a lot about. We hear a lot about the tribe of Judah, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. We hear a lot about the Levites, the priests. You don't hear a lot about Manasseh. It's just kind of, I mean, if they were ranked 1 to 12, Manasseh's probably down there somewhere in the 10, 11, 12 area, right? Down there with Ephraim and and some of the others that you're like, I didn't know that word was in the Bible. Uh, You know, and, and so Gideon, he lives with this reality, he knows of, of all the tribes, we're not terribly impressive. And then Gideon also wants the Lord to know, and Lord, in case you didn't know, then within our tribe, we have clans, and my, my clan is the weakest. And then in the, in the weak clan and kind of an insignificant tribe, uh, there's my family, and I'm the least in my family. What Gideon is trying to tell the Lord is, Hey, Lord, there are actually tens, if not hundreds of thousands of other men in Israel that you should probably go call a mighty warrior before you come talk to me. Now, now what's happening here? I, I think a couple things. First of all, Gideon is having a hard time believing that he is who God says he is. But second, maybe Gideon knows if he believes that he is who God says he is, He's going to have to do what God wants him to do. And Gideon knows mighty warriors fight. And he's hiding in a wine press so they won't steal his grain. And maybe there's just something inside of him that thinks, I like the idea of freedom. But Lord, maybe you should choose someone else. I'm happy to support them. I'm happy to follow them. I'll, I'll maybe give some of my grain to them. I'll, I'll do what I'll pray for them. Maybe I'll even go with them and fight. But, but Lord, I don't know that I necessarily want to be the mighty warrior. And so, what Gideon's doing is he's having to fight against all of this identity history that he has, where he's been told, your clan's not significant, your family's weak, your, your tribe is overlooked. And then he's also having to fight against the potential future that his identity is calling him into. I don't quite know if I want to do that. And so instead of just addressing that and saying, Lord, I don't know if I'm able, he throws up all of these excuses from his past as to why he can't. And the enemy's going to work the same way in your life. You see, you have received an inheritance of identity as the son, the daughter of God. And it's an inheritance that when you receive it, the enemy cannot take, you, take it away from you. The enemy cannot disqualify you from the inheritance that God has given you and from the identity that he has placed on you. And so what the enemy does, knowing he can't disqualify you, is he tries to get you to disqualify yourself. That's what he does with Gideon. There's nothing mighty about you. Gideon, stop. Gideon, don't go down that road. You're just going to be disappointed. You're just going to let people down. You're not a leader. No one's going to follow you. You're not a fighter. You're not going to defeat anyone. Look around you, Gideon. It's a, it's a vast army that no one can count. Your own people are hiding in caves to get away from them. You don't want that. You don't deserve it. You'll never live up to it. And then when he comes to us and he begins to speak those same words of nobody from your family has ever done anything like that. Nobody from the part of town you grew up in would ever achieve something like that. Nobody with your past would ever be allowed to do something like that. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You don't have the right connections. You can't get into the right doors. You're not going to have the right opportunities. And all of our insecurities begin to well up and become fertile ground for the enemy to attack us and to tell us, you can't do that. You can't be that. But in that space, we're asking the wrong question. The question is not, can I do this? The question is, has God spoken? Because if he speaks and says, this is who you are, then this is who I am. And if this is who I am, then this is what I have to do. And I'm going to believe the God who knows me and calls me has already anticipated every obstacle that stands in the way. And so I'm just going to follow him and watch him succeed over and over and over again. And this is what happens with Gideon. As as you keep reading his story, you see that God is very patient with him as he fights against his history. So we don't have time to, to get into all of it, but Gideon basically kind of, again, humbly comes to the Lord and says, um, I believe you, but can I test you a little bit? And so God is gracious and he allows it. And, and Gideon says, Lord, if you want me to do it, uh, do this. And God does it. And then Gideon says, okay, uh, thank you. If you want me to do it now, do the opposite of that. And, and God does it. And, and maybe you've been in that boat before where God has said, hey, maybe, maybe let's think of like a job. You're feeling like it's time for a career change. It's time to start something new. And, and so you start praying, Lord, if, if this is really from you, have someone I care about tell me I should pursue this. And so someone you cares about come and they say, hey, I think you should pursue this. And so that night you go to pray and you're like, thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. Um, if it's really from you, have a company in that field reach out to me. And so then, you know, shortly a company in that field reaches out to you. Like, Lord, I appreciate that. Uh, but just one more, have them offer me this salary. Or have, and you, you just, you know, we just kind of keep moving the goalposts on what, where, at, at which point we'll actually act and obey what God has told us to do. I know none of you have done that. I've done it a few times. Of Lord, if you really want to, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. And, and here's what we learn in Gideon's story. God is patient because he wants to achieve his purposes. Like Gideon just keeps saying, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Do you want to? Are you sure? Can you do this? Can you do that? And God not only meets every test that Gideon has, but God actually gives extra signs to Gideon so that he will know this is the path and this is the plan. And so when you're fighting your old history, God knows it will be difficult for you. He knows there will be times you succeed and there will be other times you fail. But he is unrelenting in his desire for you to experience the fullness of life that he has for you on a personal level. And so he's going to keep coming again and again and again and again to tell you this is who you are and this is what you're going to do. And eventually, like Gideon, you will reach the point where you're willing to live out your identity. We see it. Let's go back to Judges chapter 6, verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon's process, he's, he's testing the Lord, the Lord is providing for him. And, and at some point along the way, Gideon decides, I'm going to live out my identity. And the reason he does it is not necessarily because he believes he is a mighty warrior, but because he believes the first part of God's message to him The Lord is with you. See, Gideon, as a mighty warrior, did not exist outside of God's choosing and God's presence. And Gideon's confidence did not reside in the fact that somehow he'd, he'd had a few tests, and he realized, I actually am pretty strong. I actually am a warrior. I've been, it, it was nothing to do with that. But as he recognized the Lord was with him, he was willing to begin living like a mighty warrior. And so, so you read his story, and Gideon's initial response is, is, of obedience is to say, okay, I'll, I'll step into this space. He calls for the men of Israel to gather with him. 32,000 men show up to fight. Now, if I am Gideon, I'm going to feel a little more like a mighty warrior with 32,000 other men with me. And yet, the, the picture that's painted for us is they are still comically overmatched. It's not just that their enemies can't be counted. It says even their camels can't be counted. There are so many more Midianites than Israelites that it's still a hopeless cause, and yet Gideon is confident. 32,000 men, let's go, let's get it. Let's devise a strategy, we'll attack from different angles. We don't know what all conversations he has, but, but something is happening. And then the Lord comes again, and he speaks to Gideon, and he says, uh, you have too many men. I don't want Israel to think they delivered themselves, and so tell everyone who's scared they can go home. So Gideon makes the announcement, 10,000 men go home. And so now it's 22,000 men. Again, still kind of a formidable force and, and yet still hopelessly outmatched. Gideon feels confident. The Lord says, nope, still too many. I don't want them to think that it came from you or that it came from them. I want them to know victory comes from me and me alone. So he puts Gideon through one final test that whittles the force down to 300 men. And Gideon The mighty warrior who hid in the wine press and tried to excuse himself out of God's identity now decides that 300 men is the perfect number to take on an uncountable army. And what is it? What happens? He doesn't go through any strategic training. All that happens is Gideon has learned, the Lord is with me, so I am who he says I am. And if I am who he says I am, then I will do what he says I will do and the lord has told me i am a mighty warrior and gideon knows two things mighty warriors fight and mighty warriors win and if the lord is with him then he's just decided hey i'm you know what i'm an inheritor of the promises made to abraham and isaac and jacob i am a descendant of moses and joshua And Gideon begins to remember the Lord was with them and the Lord provided for them and the Lord delivered them. And it's not the first time as a nation we have faced insurmountable obstacles. It's not the first time we have been overmatched. It's not the first time an enemy has looked undefeatable. He remembers the story of the Exodus. He remembers the possession of the promised land. And he begins to look at the 300 men and says, well, Lord, if this is who we have, then let's go. And what happens is Gideon steps into his identity as a mighty warrior, 300 other men begin to step into their identities as mighty warriors with him. See, when you walk in the identity that God has given to you, you will always help others walk in the identity that God has given to them because we're all connected and you're going to receive faith from me and I'm going to receive faith from you. It's why as a community of faith, we all need each other to walk in the identities that God has given to us. And so Gideon and his 300 men, they, they surround the army They have their their torches kind of in a jar. They break the jars. They raise their swords and they shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And the Lord comes and he sends their enemy's camp into chaos. So they turn and begin to attack each other. They, They literally slaughter each other and they flee the area. And it is this tremendous victory. And as Gideon and his men pursue him, other Israelite men begin to join in. And so now what began as Gideon's story and then was the story of the 300 now becomes the story of thousands of men who are participating in what God was achieving in this time and in this place. When we live out our identities, we will be a blessing to the world around us and we will make it easier for others to live out their identities with us. And so it's never just about you. It's never just about me. The choices you're making today are either making it easier or more difficult for other people to follow Jesus. And when you choose to live out the identity God has for you, it enables others to have the opportunity to make that same choice. And so Gideon experiences this this, this incredible victory. The land is free from the Midianites. And if Gideon's story ended here he would be one of the great heroes of the Old Testament. And and yet, as you keep reading Gideon's story, you see that it actually has a sad ending. And that he doesn't finish as strong as he should have. Because he loses sight of the connection between God's presence and his identity. And Gideon initially has to be convinced, the Lord is with you, so you're a mighty warrior. But after the victory, he begins to think that he's a mighty warrior without the presence of God. So you can skip all the way down towards the end of his story. Judges chapter 8, verse 27. The people have come to Gideon after the victory, and they've asked him to be their king. He's told them, I don't want to be your king, but give me some of the gold you have from the Midianites. And then in verse 27, it says, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So, so what happens, Gideon says, I don't want to be your king, but I'll, I'll take some of the stuff you got. And he takes it, and he forms it into an ephod, kind of a priestly garment. And then he sets it up in his town as, as kind of a sign of, this is who I am, and this is what we've done. And he says, all Israel came and prostituted themselves. What's that mean? It means they began to worship this ephod, this thing. Once again, even as God has delivered them, they are turning their backs on him in the moment to pursue another path of idolatry. And we're told it becomes a snare to Gideon and his family. And as you read Gideon's family history from this point on, you can see it goes from one amazing victory to tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Why? Because Gideon lost sight of, of who he was and who God had enabled him to be. Gideon forgot that he was only a mighty warrior because the Lord was with him. And he started to live and behave like he was a mighty warrior because that's who he was. To put it in our language, Gideon believed his own hype. Right? If, if Gideon had been here in our day, that, that would have been our, our primary admonition to him of Gideon, don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. Right? Because people would have been tweeting at Gideon They would have been posting stories with Gideon of, look at the victory we've won. They would have been proud of him. He would have been trending on every social media platform there was. And they would have sung his praises. They would have talked about his strategic military victories. They would have talked about the insurmountable odds. They would have come out with ranking lists of where does this rank in the list of Israel's military victories. They would have done all of those things and more. And that's what the people do. They come and they're saying, Gideon, you won the victory for us. And instead of Gideon remembering, no, it was the Lord, he allows that to come his way. And the glory that should have been reflected back to God, Gideon instead takes for himself. And he allows his heart to be warped. He allows his eyes to be pulled down off of God. And we're reve- and in doing so, reveals to us one of the, the final identity attacks of the enemy. If he can't get you... Before you experience the success and blessing that comes with walking in the identity of God, then he'll use the success and blessing to launch his next round of attacks at you. To begin to convince you that, hey, you deserve all this. Hey, you've earned all this. You are smarter than them. That's why you have it. You did work harder than them. That's why you've received it. If they wanted what you have, they should do what you did. And and you will lose sight of the fact that it was God who arranged every detail of your life to bring you to this moment of success and blessing. And in a place like Christian Chapel, this identity warning from Gideon is something we have to pay attention to. Because God has blessed so many of you so tremendously. You have known his grace and his goodness. You, you have received a life that much of the world w- would die to know. You have known his blessings. I mean, when, when I go, I, I, I'm not a hint of sarcasm at all, hundred percent. When I go to other like ministry conferences, when I talk to other pastors, I brag about the people of Christian Chapel. Because you are some of the most impressive people I know. You have been invited into arenas and had opportunities that I still blow my mind to think about. God has opened doors for you. There are people who know you that I'm really impressed by. Right? There are opportunities you have that, that I can't wait to tell my friends of like, let me tell you about this guy I get to pastor. Let me tell you about this lady in my church and the doors that God is opening for them. I'm impressed by it. But you can't be. Right, And I can't be impressed by myself because the moment I start to think I achieved this, I earned this, I deserve this. I am taking my eyes off of God who gave me this identity and provided for me to experience it. And I begin to turn inward and think this is mine and I have it. And it elevates my view of of myself. It diminishes my view of God. And it makes me think that other people must just be lazy or sinful or else they would have the same good things I have. When we believe our own hype, it always takes us off the path God has for us. Because his path is always the path of humility. His path is always the path of recognizing every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. His path always understands that there are so many circumstances in my life that had to fall in the right place at the right time for me to enjoy what I'm enjoying now that I can't take any credit for it at all. But I have to acknowledge God's sovereign hand at work in my life. You have natural abilities and gifts that you did nothing to earn. You have stewarded them. You have developed them, but you did not create them. God is the one who gave them to you. He's the one who opened all of those doors for you. I love the way that, that Dr. Um, get his name correct. Dr. Lawson Younger puts it. He says, the deep rooted pride of achievement can blur our vision as to, how, where we, as to how we got where we are. God has gifted men and women and therefore whatever they accomplish ultimately redounds to his credit. The athlete the intellectual, the business person, the preacher, all owe their achievements and accomplishments to God's endowment. If you're honest, you have no problem admitting that everything you are and all you can do originated in the hand of God without your participation. And when you live that way, You are willing to understand and embrace that your identity will glorify God in all things, at all times, and among all people. This is how Gideon's story should have ended. It should have ended with him saying, no, we're going to glorify the Lord and we're going to worship him. No, I didn't win the victory. The Lord did. So let's return to the scriptures. Let's begin to live how he called us to live. Let's go back into this space. But he doesn't do it. Why? Because he begins to believe that he's the one who created all of these opportunities for himself. You've seen this story. You felt this temptation in your own life. And yet all it takes is just a, a moment of clarity and a moment of humility to step back and recognize everything I have is a gift from the Lord. We can't believe our own hype because we know better than anyone else how much God has worked in us to achieve what he's doing right here and right now. I, I know in your life you've had the front row seat to God's provision and now your job is to tell the story of his provision first and foremost. So when someone asks about your success, the first answer is not hard work, discipline, or education. The first answer is always the sovereignty and grace of God. God led me here. God opened doors for me. Right? I mean, there's nothing that makes me laugh more than when I read a story about an NFL linebacker who says, I got everything I have through hard work. I'm like, yeah, and being 6'4 and 260 and running a four flat 40. Like they're inherent gifts from God, right? Or, or I, I've talked with kids on, on the basketball court and they're like, man, I'm just, just grit and grind. I've got everything in, in my life. That's how I got the scholarship. I'm like, and you're 6'10". You didn't, you didn't do that. God did that. So many business opportunities where if if we're humble enough to acknowledge I was born at the right place, in the right time, to the right family, I had the right educational opportunities, I just happened to be in the office at the moment something opened, there are so many things that are completely outside of our control. And what the scriptures are teaching us over and over and over again is God gives us our identity. God provides for our identity. And then our identity exists to glorify him and help others find their identity in him. And so your testimony is never, hey, come be like me. Your testimony is just come experience the grace that I've known. Come experience the sovereign care of God that I've seen on display in my life. And it, it really doesn't matter if, if you are extremely wealthy and extremely successful or if, if like many of us, you just live in a normal life. Your normal life of peace, of joy, of love, of hope stands out in a world of darkness and sin and loss. And as that identity shines brightly, your job is not to say, well, here's the book I read or here's the three disciplines I embrace. It's to say, let me tell you about the God who's made all of this possible. Let me tell you about the one who opened the door for me to meet my wife. Let me tell you about the one who gave me an opportunity in this position. Let me tell you about the one who called me out of my insecurities. Let me tell you about the one who set me free from my addictions. Let me tell you about the one who inspires me every day. Let me tell you about the one who walks with me and empowers me. And as your life glorifies him, as you live in that identity, you will see the goodness and the glory of God in your life. And it will overflow into the world around you. You'll stand with me. I want to pray for you. And then the the band is going to come and lead us in a final song this morning. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we come today. and, And first of all, we pray for anyone in the room, anyone who's with us online, that they have not yet embraced their identity as your son and your daughter. Lord, I pray today that you would come and you would bring forgiveness of sins. Lord, that you would come and help them to to move outside of life without you and into life with you. May they hear your invitation to receive forgiveness and new life. May they receive the power of your spirit at work in them, revealing their identity as your sons and your daughters. Lord, I pray for anyone who is here today that they're just in this season of struggle, a season of being tempted by broken identities, of believing that what's happening to them is who they are. And Lord, we pray today that the truth of your spirit would come and invade their heart and mind. Jesus, we pray today that they would know no matter what is happening to them, they are known and loved by you. That you see them and you are with them. That you are acting to reveal your purposes and your plans right here and right now. And so, Lord, we, from our position of need and weakness, we cry out for your intervention. And we believe that as we cry out, you answer. So, Jesus, today, will you remind us that you are with us and you are for us and that you have a purpose and a plan in this season and in this moment. And finally, Lord, I pray for those in the room who are currently in in just a really wonderful season of life. They're experiencing your blessings they're seeing your answered prayers. Lord, the things that they once only dreamed about, they're now grasping with their hands. Lord, I pray in that success and in that blessing, you would help us to live with humility, to reflect all the glory and all the honor back to you, to live with hearts that are full of thanksgiving and with speech and actions that are quick to point others towards you and your care and provision in our lives. Jesus, we surrender to you again today, and we ask that everything we say and do, every identity that you have given us that we are living out, that it will result in your glory and your fame in our world, in our lives, everywhere we go and in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.